Greetings. We're back again with your weekly Tech Law 10 where technology and the law intersect. I'm Eric Finrod from Dwayne Morris. I'm joined as ever by my colleague Jonathan Armstrong from Cordery. And Jonathan, I'm looking into your brain and I'm seeing trains and railroads. What's going on? <laughs> Thanks very much, Eric. Um, as you rightly say, I'm Jonathan Armstrong. Um, and as you know, Eric, I've been on vacation for a week when we think about things. And also, I've uh, just flown out to Houston, so I'm waving across to California since we're somewhat closer together than normally. And, um, and one of the things that I've been really interested in reading about is the sort of the early industrialization of the U.S. and all those big industrialists like uh, Carnegie and Rockefeller who built the American railroad system. And I think there's a somewhat cliched parallel sometimes between that and the Internet and how um, just as the railroads conquered the US and unified it and indeed conquered the UK in some respects brought together a single time system which even a small country like the UK hadn't had before the railways came then it's often said that the internet is doing the same for the whole world and it seemed to me that there were some other parallels as well that might just be worth thinking about now obviously the uh, railroads went through this great system of, uh, in, in both of our countries, of being set up by disparate entrepreneurs and then consolidated. So that, for example, if you wanted to go from London to Scotland, uh, you used to have a choice of lots of different routes and lots of different rail operators. But effectively, it just ended up with two, the LMS and the LNER, and both of them competed for speed and comfort and the gloriousness of the railway stations at either end of the line, so in Edinburgh and in London, for example. And I think that the situation was somewhat similar in the U.S. If you look at things like the Grand Central uh, Terminus in New York City, obviously, the same sort of things were happening as the Vanderbilts, I think, uh, created that uh, terminal as a, as a monument to their power and that you know, great Campbell apartment that they've got where they would entertain their guests there. So where am I going with the parallels with the Internet? Well, I think in some respects we're at that era now, aren't we, that lots of people have thought of interesting things to do with the Internet but we're in a period of consolidation now where perhaps only one or two or three operators will be those that we're going to use for a lot of what we do. I, for example, have had uh, been speaking to my youngest daughter, who's 18, over the holidays, and, and she effectively uses three forms of communication over the Internet. And you might think, oh, well, at least there's three. At least that's not... A monopoly but she actually when you drill down she uses three different types of communication for three different constituents if you like now happily my wife and I are in the middle group so we're not so old that we have to be communicated with on what she regards as an old person's medium 
but we're not young enough that she uh, communicates with us the same way she communicates with her peers online. So you might say, well, then that's uh, getting to be a little bit more of a monopoly. And that's the case even more so when you look at the provider of those three different means of communication has the same parent company. And then on the plane over, I flew over with uh, Singapore Airlines, and I was reading an interesting story in the Straits Times in Singapore about consolidation in the uh, app-to-hire-car market. And uh, in Singapore, apparently, there was competition between a local provider and Uber, and Uber have pulled out of the, or are about to pull out of the Singaporean market. They'd created uh, a relationship with a leasing company that was leasing cars to drivers for them to drive for Uber. They're trying to sell their operation to the former rival. And there's all sorts of issues there over whether a monopoly would effectively be created and what the Singaporean competition authorities, the antitrust authorities, can do about that. Can they force Uber to stay, for example, so that there's realistic competition? But what we do know is that, um, that some of the drivers who've leased their vehicles are queuing round the street to sign up with the, uh, with the local carrier because obviously they've got their leasing agreements for the cars and have little option at the moment other than to drive for the one remaining operator. So I guess my uh, odd thoughts are that, um, is it inevitable that the whole of what we do online is going to co uh, consolidate into a few players? Now obviously this isn't necessarily a new concept. The European Commission, for example, have tried to bring antitrust enforcement action against technology players before. GDPR has a right to data portability, which is essentially an antitrust measure disguised as a privacy measure to try and enable new market entrants to get a foothold in the EU. And the original proposal was that that might enable EU technology businesses to sort of rise up and dominate the existing providers who are largely, of course, US-based as some sort of leveling, leveling of the playing field, you might call it, or you might call it a, a measure to try and increase EU domestic businesses above those of the US. But the reality is, it seems to me, that there's even more consolidation in the Chinese market. So one of the Chinese players, for example, you can communicate with your friends, you can buy stuff. So it runs in a similar way to eBay and online shopping and all of your communications in one app. So realistically, if the market is um, changed around, it seems to me that the, that the likely winners might be some of these cash-rich Chinese businesses rather than an indigenous EU business rising up to fill uh, any vacuum that's created. So uh, I know it's, um, it's a bit of a wide topic and probably not one that we can do justice to in, in 10 minutes, but it just I wonder if you think, Eric, there's some parallels between the old railroad system and the taming of the Wild West – 
and mm -hmm. where we're going with um, with the internet and technology to consolidate in the hands of a few major players, and whether that's a real challenge to regulators to uh, to sort of level the playing field. Yeah, really good topic, Jonathan. Thank you, and, and good point. Um, interesting, you mentioned the wild, wild west because you know over the last couple of decades, you know some have referred to you know the growth. Uh, of online uh, activities, business, personal behavior, uh, communications, that having really been the new wild, wild west. Uh, also interesting, you've been thinking about trains, but just yesterday I got on our very new smart train here in Marin County where I live north of San Francisco. I took the train up to Santa Rosa for lunch with the family yesterday. So I was actually on a train as you were thinking about this yesterday. Wow. But, but I think there really are parallels, and I think whenever – you know, we're getting into, you know, new industries, um, new fields. You know, we have many players rushing to try to stake out territory, just like the wild, wild west here uh, and the railroads. And you can have a number of players. And then ultimately, there, there is consolidation. You know, I was actively involved with many startup companies in the Silicon Valley uh, area uh, in the 1990s, early 2000s. And there were so many startups, but most of them ended up being start downs. They did not <laughs> succeed. Uh, but the few that succeeded did so quite wildly. I mean, when we think about, you know, Internet search, you know, now people, you know, talk about Google as if it's like the verb to do Internet search. But, you know, once upon a time, Google was one of many available search engines that uh, people use. When you go online to make a purchase now, uh, what's the big beast on the Internet for that? It's Amazon. Social media, a big player, which, of course, has been in the news lately. Uh, Facebook, when you want to have reviews on hotels and restaurants, et cetera, you go to Yelp. Um, and these are just a few of the you know, major uh, companies that have really staked that territory. Um, so, you know, they are succeeding where others have not. Um, and they have had, you know, greater market share. I just want to be plain in this podcast, you know, we're certainly not opining that any of these companies are actually monopolies or have, you know, too much market power um, from an antitrust standpoint. We're just simply commenting here that we've seen the growth of some companies um, into certain areas, and there's obviously been some who've succeeded where others have fallen by the wayside. And that's historically normal, as you pointed out, in, in the railroad context. But you know, we will certainly see you know, how they do going forward uh, on a number of fronts because they are in new areas and new issues come up, whether it has to do with privacy um, or market share and things like that. So does that respond, Jonathan, adequately to your question to me? Yeah, absolutely. And, and one more question for you, Eric, to which I think I can predict the answer. Of course, the traditional answer to a lot of uh, monopoly situations in some countries has been where you see a monopoly, you pass it into government ownership. And I know Amtrak was created for very different reasons, but is that the answer? Should we be, uh, should we be taking anything that looks like a monopoly, let's say search, uh, into state ownership? Well, again, I mean, I want to steer away from suggesting that we, we are dealing with monopolies at this point. I, I don't want to wade into that. Um, I haven't really seen that as um, something that's bubbled up as an active consideration here. 
And I do know that initially uh, when the Internet was really breaking out as a true commercial uh, medium in the 1990s, you know, Congress in passing, for example, the Communication Decency Act, Section 230, which essentially gave ISPs immunity for what other people do on their platforms because uh, they wanted the Internet to be relatively unbridled because it could be a great economic success for our country, which it has been, but we're now seeing there, there can be some, um, some issues with, with uh, such unbridled freedom, and you know, Congress is taking a real look at um, you know, regulating more. And I'm not talking necessarily from an antitrust standpoint, I'm not at all, but just you know, what happens on these platforms and how free should they really be when there can be uh, not only benefits but true detriment. Um, so I, I haven't really heard much discussion about you know, having government ownership of the types of sites that I mentioned, but there could be greater governmental regulation and scrutiny. Yeah, very interesting. I was slightly being mischievous, as I'm sure you get. <laughs> so th I think we're past our 10. This is Eric Finrod. It's Wayne Morris. Thanking you for joining us this week and inviting you, of course, to come back again and suggest further ideas. You can reach me at ejfinrod at duanemorris.com. You can find us on the usual social media outlets. Why don't you close it down, Jonathan? Thanks very much. If you do think that the Internet should be possessed by any state government, then you might uh, suggest that on our LinkedIn group and, and who would own it and why. Um, meantime, I'm Jonathan Armstrong, jonathan.armstrong at cordycompliance.com. All that remains is to thank you for listening. We hope this has been at least thought-provoking, and we'll. Uh, and, and I guess I should say that normal service will be resumed next week. Thanks for listening. Bye now. Cheers.